Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Come on, come on. Well, hey, look, first thing I want to do is I want to say hello as we welcome in our Ocean Springs location. Come on, go for it. Can we give it up for our Ocean Springs location? <laughs> Going to be joining us today for the sermon. So uh, today, man, how many of you know somebody that is sick or under the weather right now? Come on. Like it is everywhere. And so, uh, so actually today, Pastor Stephen is under the weather uh, over in, in Ocean Springs, as well as my dad, Pastor Van. They're both under the weather. And so, uh, so I wanted to take a moment. I want to pray for them as uh, Stephen's also struggling with some back issues. And, uh, and so we want to pray for them. And, and also I just want to pray for all of the other uh, members of our family and the people that we know right now who are sick. It's just a lot. I know my wife is even struggling with some stuff. And so, so I just want to pray right now. Come on, join me. Father, we pray right now for, for Pastor Stephen. Pastor Van, God, and all the other people who are, are sick right now. Father, we're just praying that you would heal. God, that you would strengthen their bodies. God, we pray for Pastor Stephen that you would reach out and touch his back. Father, that you would strengthen the muscles and the, and the vertebrae and, and everything that's going on. God, we pray that you would heal him, that you would raise him up. Father, for Pastor Van, we pray that you would heal his, all of his sinuses and everything that's going on. God, that you would strengthen him. God, for all of us, Father, that you would protect us, that you strengthen our immune systems. God, as we walk through this season in our lives, God, we thank you for that you are the healer, that you are our protector, and our trust is in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, look, today we are, uh, we are kind of starting something new. And so if it's your first time here, you picked a good week to show up. We are now headed into summer at Northwood Church, all right? And, and what that means is we finished up James last week, which if you were here, I know it was a great service. We pray for one another. Uh, as James talks about, we pray for one another. And I know uh, at all locations, it was a great time uh, for ministry. Well, we're starting something new starting in June, and this is going to run through the end of July. Uh, basically every week you're going to be hearing from someone else in our teaching team here at the church. And, uh, and, and all of these messages, they are, it's not a series, all right? Like we do a lot of methodical series. This is basically just hot off the press, hot off the heart of each of our teachers uh, sharing with you something that God has put on their heart specifically for this time. And so today I'm honored to be able to share with Ocean Springs and here today um, about Something that I talked about, man, this is about four years ago now, three or four years ago. And uh, it, it's sort of an updated version of the message of, how many of you remember we talked about being stuck in the middle? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you guys. We talked about being stuck in the middle. And being stuck in the middle is a, a difficult place to be. Have you ever been stuck in between two things that, that you, you sort of agreed with? Maybe it was a relationship. I mean, how many of you guys have ever tried to play the mediator between two young kids? Okay. You know, last night, for instance, I'm at the house and, and uh, I've got a, a three-year-old and a nine-year-old and it was, it was popcorn and movie night for them. They, you know, Ariana, who's my nine-year-old, sent the three-year-old into the room and, uh, and, and she said, it's so sweet. She's like, daddy, can me and Ari make some popcorn and watch a movie? How do you say no to that, you know? <laughs> like they had already watched too many movies and eaten too much junk food. I'm like, absolutely, yes, you can. <laughs> so, but, but th that was step one. Step two was actually finding the movie. Finding the movie. And whenever you have kids that are spread apart, they can't come to an agreement on which movie to watch, ever. Ever. They can't ever do it. And so uh, after about 30 minutes, I walk out the back room because I hear them bickering and I walk out like literally almost 30 minutes. And I walk out and they're still scrolling through Netflix trying to find a movie to watch. 
And it's just movie after movie, and there's so many options. And I'm like, man, you gotta go back to whenever I was a kid. Now, first off, we rented a movie once every like four months. And it cost a dollar. I don't know why we didn't, but it cost a dollar. And we would rent it, and, and then you watch that movie about 17 times before you had to bring it back the next day. You know what I'm talking about. Now, we got kids, they just flip through, they watch 30 seconds, they're like, oh, it's boring. It's a multi-million dollar film. It's a beautiful film. Watch the, no, they need more. So I was stuck between my three-year-old and my nine-year-old trying to find a movie to watch. And you know what I finally did? I finally just said, y'all figure it out. But let me tell you something. If I hear y'all cry again, I'm turning the TV off and you're going straight to bed. How many parents I got to hear that said, that's how you deal with it, right? Is that you put the hammer down. You know it's an empty threat because you know you're not gonna send them to bed. But it kind of works. So later on, I heard, I heard Ariana, Elon started, me, me. she's like, shh, 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 you know? So empty threats work, to, work at times. But that, that, that's a simple illustration. But you know, being stuck in the middle between two opposing forces gets very difficult. And as a church, as people, as Christians, we're called to be stuck in the middle of a lot of different situations. We are, we're called, we're mandated by God to be, the Bible talks about being reconcilers of God and man, right? And we know this and we feel this, this responsibility to be stuck in the middle of situations, to be mediators, but it gets difficult to do that sometimes. It's difficult to be stuck in the middle. And, and, and when are we supposed to be in the middle and when are we supposed to be on one side or the other? And nowadays it's getting more and more difficult to know the difference because at the end of the day, we, we all want to be right. Am I right? We all want to be right. We all want to be on the proper side of the argument. We all want to look back in 10 years or 20 years and we want to look back at even what's going on right now in our society and we want to say, you know what? I picked the right side. That's right. And you know what happens is that because we want to be on the right side of something, a lot of times we will start rooting against the other side and really, do you really want those people to fail too? No, you don't. But internally, whenever we pick a side, a lot of times we root against the other one. So we want to be stuck in the middle, but how do we do this well? We're stuck in the middle in a lot of different areas. As Christians and in the church, we are stuck theologically in different situations. We have different uh, opinions. We have different interpretations of scripture. There's different denominations left and right, thousands of different interpretations, right? Morally, in the church, out the church, there's so many different approaches to what is right and what is wrong, what is moral, what is biblically moral, what is not. Politically, do I even have to refer to the things that are going on right now? We, we know politically what's happening. It's so polarized. And in this age of polarization, we, the church, Again, we feel kind of called to bring reconciliation, right? But how? <laughs> I've had this conversation with a lot of people. They say it's the church's responsibility to do a lot of things. And I'm like, how? Where, where, do, where do you start? What do you do? Who do you talk? What, what, how, how do you do this? And then a lot of times the call to unity is really just a call to uniformity. And so then what are we unifying around? Because it's not just a national thing, right? It's, 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 it's the people of God, Christians. What, 
What are we uniting around? Who are we uniting around? And so in, the, in this tension of trying to be kind of stuck between two forces as people of unity and peace and all this kind of stuff, at times it feels like you're standing between two like bucking horses that are just seeking to rip your arms off your body. You know what I'm saying? I know for me as a pastor, it's felt like that for a long time. It was bad enough before the last two years. It's beginning progressively worse in the church and outside the church. Trying to, trying to maintain the unity of the spirit as Ephesians talks about, it's becoming more and more difficult to do that. Because again, some people are not really concerned with being stuck in the middle as much as they are being right. But again, at times we're not, we're not supposed to be stuck in the middle. We're supposed to be on one side or the other. So how do we know the difference? How do we do this? How do we do this right? How do we do this in a way that we look back in, in five, 10, 20, whatever years, and we say, you know what? We, we managed this time well. We did what we glorified God in the way that we were stuck in the middle. Christians are always to stand for truth and righteousness, right? We're always to stand for truth and righteousness, but truth has different angles to it, to say the least. And nowadays, many people don't even think that there is a truth to stand upon at all. So if we can't agree on what truth is, then we can't agree on anything else because there is no fixed point, right? And we've talked about this as a church. We've talked about this, how there's a floating uh, uh, you know, uh, point of truth that, that some people say there's not even truth in, in any way. So why, why should we even search for it? But we've got to have something to stand on. So I thought that today would be the best, the best thing to do in this conversation would be to look at Jesus. To look at Jesus. How was Jesus stuck in the middle? How did he do this? Now, a lot of people look back in Jesus's times and I think sometimes we, we sanitize it or we just, we don't understand the extremities of what was going on in the current culture there at the times. But the time that Jesus lived in was a lot like the time that we live in right now, tumultuous. A lot of volatile things have been going on. Uh, Jerusalem was controlled by Rome. Rome had taken over Jerusalem. And so the Romans and the Jews are at odds and even if you have the Romans and the Jews, the Jews were you know, underneath the Romans, you, even in the Jews, you had different sects of Jews. And so Jesus is a Jew. He's born into this situation where there's political up, uproar, there's, there's, there's fighting, there's violence. And he's also in a time whenever the Jews are very divided. And there was four main religious groups that Jesus had to deal with that also had a lot of political implications as well. The first were the Sadducees. And many of you know the difference between these, these groups that we're gonna be talking about, but there were the Sadducees. And these were people that were religious leaders that were a little bit more involved in the political system, especially with Rome. They were kind of buddy-buddy with Rome. They would sort of, you know, go tit for tat with them. And, and they also had more of a liberal education, okay? A little bit more of a secular education. That's kind of where they were at. And they were a little bit loose with some things. And so uh, they, they were also more of an upper class. They had a little bit more money, right? So you had the Sadducees. And then you also had the Pharisees, the Pharisees were a little bit more of your middle class. They were a lot more um, 
they, they, looked, they looked at the Torah, okay? They looked at the law with a lot of, of, of I mean, they followed it to the T. To the and they were, they were very uh, conservative in the way that they would do that. Whereas the Sadducees, again, had a little bit more room in the way that they would live their life. The Pharisees were, again, middle class, and they also held to the oral traditions that were passed down to them. And if you guys know about some of the way that the Jews were brought up, then you would understand what that is. But they were passed down from generation to generation, certain traditions, and they, were, they would hold tightly to these things. And so these two groups of people, first off, made up the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish council, which if you guys remember when Jesus went before the Sanhedrin, before trial, they were interrogating him and, and eventually... Jesus basically called himself God and at that point, or the Messiah. And at that point, you know, the high priest tears his clothes and then they, they eventually they, they end up crucifying Jesus. Jesus went before this council. These were powerful people. They had power, they had money, they had influence. They were connected to the Romans. There was a lot of things going on, right? But then you also had a couple of more. You had the zealots, the zealots. You had the extremists. You had people who were opposed to the Roman rule and were fighting against it. There was, a, there was an extreme part of the zealots that were called the Sicarii. They, they actually was referred to as dagger men and they would walk around with daggers and they would actually assassinate people who were supportive of Rome, maybe Jews that were supportive of Rome. Or, I mean, you can imagine all the different things that they were involved in, but they were, they were extremists, all right? Then you had the Essenes, and these were people that said, you know what, we're out. They went and lived in the wilderness by themselves, right? They were like, we're gonna, be, we're gonna be separate from society, you know? And, and, and a lot of people actually believe that John the Baptist was heavily influenced by this crew. And so, so you had the people who were, who were politically motivated, they were involved in politics and they had money and, and power. You had your kind of more your middle of the road people that were very conservative in the way that they viewed the word and, and the way that they lived their lives. And, and then you had your, your zealots who were against these people over here, the Sadducees, but also against Rome and fighting against that. And then you had your people who just bailed out. Am I describing anything that sounds like what's going on today? Right? This is where we live, maybe a couple of nuances here and there, but you could change out all of these titles and all of these, these uh, labels for Democrat, Republican, social justice warrior, right? You could, you could change it out with a bunch of different things. In the church, you could change it out with your, your Baptists and your Catholics and your Lutherans and your Pentecostals. And, and everybody just does this. It's always been like that. And it will always be like that. It will always be like that. Humanity has an inability to truly unite. And a lot of times when somebody says unite, it's not the kind of unite that you want. Jesus, the son of God, was, was thrust into this situation. And then he stands up, stuck in the middle of all of these different people, and he begins to teach and he begins to bring things to the table in another way that they had never even heard before. So not only is he stuck in the middle of all these groups, he doesn't even align with any of them. Talk about lonely, huh? <laughs> he was polarizing in himself. 
So what can we learn from Jesus? How did he do this? How was he standing between these people? The difficulty also is that Jesus didn't just have this type of tension in his outer circle, people that were outside of his immediate you know, friends and family. He had it inside of his circle. Not only did he have tension inside of his circle, he actually invited it in. His disciples were all from different points of view. He had some fishermen, people who didn't have a lot, scraping by to try to make ends meet. He recruited some of them as disciples, said, follow me. He went to one guy named Simon, who was a zealot. Just describe who the zealots were. He recruited Simon. Hey, man, I want you to be a part of my group. Then he goes to Matthew, who is a tax collector for Rome. A zealot and a tax collector. I'm going to invite these people together. If you were Jesus, do you think that you would invite people who honestly wanted to kill each other to be a part of a group? No, of course not. You're like, let me find all of the people that kind of align and kind of are in the same field because like we want to have fun together and like we want to, you know, like I want unity. And so I'm just going to, no, he's like, no, I'm, I'm, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And he recruits all of these people. So in his inner circle, there was tension. There was volatility. And, and in the Bible, we don't have all of the things that happen. Like, guys, we don't have all of the, uh, the, the conversations that happen between all the disciples. We don't know that. But if humanity doesn't change, I can guarantee you this. They had a lot of heated debates in the, in, in the boat with Jesus, and, you know, around the campfire at night as they're traveling down the road and they're walking. Let me tell you something. They had a lot of heated debates about what should be happening, what Jesus should be doing and what they should be doing. And Simon's screaming over at Matthew, throwing stuff at him like, dude, why are you still, like, what are you doing, man? You hooked up with the Romans. What's, what's your problem? Like, guys, not much changes. And Jesus not only had it in the, in, the, in the outer circle, but he had it in the inner circle. His own family, even, there was tension in his family. Tension in his family. We just talked about James last, uh, in the last couple of months. And remember the first week we talked about how James, you know, in the beginning, James, the brother of Jesus, he wasn't quite sure about Jesus. So Jesus couldn't even convince his own family that what he was saying was right. Right? The son of God, <laughs> couldn't convince everybody. First off, let me just kind of skip, uh, skip around a little bit. What makes you think that you're going to have the power to do it? Amen. Right? <laughs> like, you can go ahead and take the responsibility off of yourself. You're not eloquent enough. You're not smart enough. You're not anointed enough to change the minds and the hearts of people. But how did Jesus do this? The thing I love about Jesus is that even in all of this tension, Jesus still loved and ministered to them. He loved and he ministered to them. He took time and energy and his life and he spent his life on people who disagreed with him. In John chapter three, Jesus sits down with a man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus and he explains the kingdom of God to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus didn't understand this is a, a very, very intelligent man. He knew the law better than most people did. He knew the word, but still he didn't have a revelation of the word. And Jesus sits down with him and communicates life to him. 
He took time. He put down the defenses. He gave time and energy to his disciples. He was stuck in the middle and he did it well. But then there's times where being stuck in the middle means compromising biblical principles. And that's where a line comes that we have to have the boldness as Christians to stand up and not be moved. And in our culture right now, whenever we decide as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, to stand up for truth and righteousness, it comes at a cost. It has always come at a cost. There's not one generation of Christians who have not had to deal with some sort of cost of being a Christian. And so here we are in a time where honestly Christianity for a lot of us hasn't cost us anything. It really hasn't. It hasn't been an inconvenience. For a lot of people, they would argue that they've grown up in a country that has actually promoted Christian values and promoted Christian Christianity. And it's kind of been normalized to an extent that it hasn't been hard to be a Christian. And that would be one perspective. Another perspective would say that if that's what Christianity is, then that ain't Christianity. You know what I'm saying? So we have this tension. We have a tension around sexual immorality in our nation right now. And this month is a big month, right? And a lot of people are taking a lot of, I guess there's, there's just division around that. And there's sides that are being chosen. And if you don't celebrate something, then you are against people and you hate them. Look, because you don't agree with someone's uh, lifestyle does not mean that you do not love them. It's a trap of the enemy to try to force people over. Young people, let me tell you something. Like, the Bible defines things a certain way, and culture is going to continue to define things all sorts of different ways. And, and you have to agree with the word of God and with truth and let culture fall where it may. When it comes to sexual immorality, especially young people you know, on TikTok or whatever you're at, you're going to hear a lot of people give 30-second explanations of why uh, what the scripture says about sexual immorality is inaccurate and it's been wrongly interpreted and passed down generation to generation. Those people do not know what they're talking about. They simply don't know what they're talking about. Progressive Christianity is seeking to redefine theology and, and, and re-look re at things and redefine it. And what it always ends up doing is it always ends up undermining the authority of Scripture. Because in order to redefine things, you have to undermine things. Because it's pretty clear what the Word of God says. It's pretty clear what Jesus spoke about. And so when it comes to sexual immorality, guess what? We lovingly, we, we take a stand. You don't have to say it mean. We'll get to that in here in a second. But you, you, at some point, you have to stand. You have to not be moved. You have to be rooted in something that a lot of people disagree with. Our country is greatly divided right now in the, in the, cons, in the, um, the topic of racism. 
probably one of the most volatile conversations that we could have right now. And I think that especially here, all of us agree that racism is evil. Racism is not the heart of God. Racism is rooted in hatred. It's ignorant. I think we can all agree with that because we all agree that people are created in the image of God. We, we believe that all people are, are equal. We believe that people shouldn't be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. We believe that. And so as we step forward from that, that place of, I, I really assume, again, 98% of people actually would say that or believe that, it, it's not just that simple. Because now we have this, this tension between racism and now what I refer to as racism 2.0, which is just anti-racism, just another version of the same thing, just flip-flopped. And as, as people of God, we have to have wisdom and discernment to be able to see that and understand that and not choose those sides, but be stuck in the middle. And this conversation is something that, can I just be honest with you, that we have not picked up a lot about because it's a conversation, not a monologue. It's not. And so the things that I've even said in the last 10 seconds, you could take and you could twist and you could assume that you actually know what I, what I believe and what I think because I don't have two hours to break down all of the nuances surrounding that. But let me tell you something. The answer to hate is not just a different version of hate. It's not. And we're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. And as Christians, we, got to be able, we have to be able to read the word of God decipher what it says and apply it to the culture that we're in. Culture is really, really, really good at telling us stories. Really good at it in all accounts, okay? In all accounts. And, and people are seeking to, to reach out and grab a hold of your emotions, all right? Very, very intelligent people. Again, on all sides. And they're seeking to win over your heart, to win over your affection, to win over your opinion, so that th therefore they, there could be a movement behind things that, that we might look back in 10 or 20 years and say, that was actually not really the movement that I wanted to be a part of. Not in that way. Is there, are there elements of truth in, in points of conversation? Absolutely. Absolutely. But not every... Not every prescription that's being given out on how to fix these problems is one that's actually gonna to lead to a fix. Church, we need a lot of wisdom. We need a lot of wisdom. It used to be that you could just kind of ignore situations and they just go away, right? And a lot of people have ignored situations over the years and guess what? They don't go away. How many of you in your marriage that's worked out well for you, right? <laughs> Just ignore it, it'll dissipate. It doesn't. You keep sweeping it under the rug, guess what? It just keeps getting higher and higher and higher. Every now and then you gotta, you gotta pull the rug back and you gotta look at it, you gotta say, man, what is this junk? 
And a lot of people are really wanting to do that. But as we pull the rug back, church, can we pull the rug back and can we have a a gracious and 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 a spirit led approach to the conversations that we need to have? We must. This is the most polarized I've ever seen the body of Christ in my life. I'm only 36, but this is the most polarized I've seen it. There is no right answer, right? I'll give the phone a second. (laughs) There is no right answer. So how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus stay stuck in the middle? And I bring up some of these situations, not honestly to give you any actual answers today (laughs) because what you're feeling right now is exactly what Jesus was feeling and what he was dealing with. That's right. The angst you feel that, yeah, I I did that intentionally because, because this is the, this is how intense it was in Jesus's time. Absolutely. A lot of different people, a lot of different perspectives How did Jesus do it? Number one, he started with loving people. He started with loving people. If we desire to be stuck in the middle of situations with people, but we don't have love in our heart for those people, the people that we disagree with, then it's really really not gonna work. Jesus, every miracle that he performed, every healing that he performed with people, He was led with compassion. He started there. He started with empathy. He started with, let me, let me look at the the, the side that I don't really see as clearly. Let me, let me, let me get where they're at. He started with love. The first step to being stuck in the middle, as Jesus was stuck in the middle, is to have love in your heart for people. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who use you and abuse you. That was the standard that he set. It's a high standard. He started with love. The Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Zealots and everybody that he disagreed with, he loved them. He genuinely loved them. Whenever they said stuff that that he didn't see eye to eye on, he loved them. The next thing is that he answered their questions from a biblical point of view. He answered the questions that they had from a biblical point of view, a biblical point of view. Matthew 22, I wanna share this with you. Verse 23, that same day, the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, was a big point that they had with, with, uh, with difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They came to him with a question. They came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his mother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. To which some of you are like, why are are they bringing this up? Of all the questions to have, this is what we're gonna ask. Verse 25, now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife Will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? What are they trying to do? 
They don't believe in the resurrection. What they're doing is they're playing games with Jesus, trying to trap him, trying to confuse him, trying to expose that maybe he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And they're bringing up a situation that actually culturally, I believe it was something that potentially had already happened. And whenever it comes to the resurrection, they're like, what's gonna happen? Is that person still gonna be married or what? And Jesus replies, verse 29, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. That's a good, that's a good first response, right? <laughs> he says this, you actually don't know what the Bible says. You, the way that you're understanding what the Bible says has been flip-flopped and, and you actually don't know what it's saying. And so that because of that, you don't understand the power of God either. He says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So he, he puts that aside, but then he gets to the real heart of the matter. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? Again, Sadducees, they know the word, they know the scriptures. And he brings the Bible in for us. He brings the Bible in. God said to you, I am present. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Jesus didn't go further into the weeds with them. What he did is he brought scripture to them. And we live in a time, in a world right now, where people want us to get wrapped up in all of the talking points. They want us to get wrapped up in all of the politics. They want us to get wrapped up in a lot of things that are not going to fix things. Let me tell you Christians what is going to help us navigate the word of God. That is what's going to help us deal with issues. We don't need to reach out and grab somebody else's approach to things. We don't need to go out and re read somebody else's thing and then try to, to bring in worldly concepts into the word of God. What we need to do is keep our faith in the word, keep our conversation centered around the word, ask what does the Bible say about this? Not what does Congressman so-and-so say about this? That's where we have to start. I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to believers. If we don't hold on to the word, we have nothing. We have nothing, y'all. Jesus knew that. So when it came to the Sadducees, he brought them back to the word and he said, you've just, you're, you're just, you're not seeing it correctly. Now I'm not standing up here today telling you that I believe that I have everything figured out. If you think that I think that, you don't know me. <laughs> we just need to have a 10, 10 minute conversation. You'll understand that. However, I do believe that the word of God is authoritative and I do believe that, that it, is the, it is the source, it is the first go-to and let's have a conversation around that. Let's not have a conversation around all of the worldly systems and try to bring that in, no. Jesus went to the word. Jesus answered their questions from a biblical point of view. Church, we gotta study the word in order to have an answer for things. I'm not saying I have answers for things. I'm not. If you have the answers, let me know. But we got to study the word. Last night, to what I was doing. Different perspectives, different opinions. People that I love, very, very, I'm very close. I love them. Difference of opinion, different of perspective. 
God, what are you doing? Sometimes, let me, t- let, me, let me explain something to you guys. Sometimes there's a person here. Maybe, maybe you're, you're this person here and you're very, very strong in what you think and what you believe and what, like you're, and I'm, talk, I'm talking to Christians right now, by the way. I'm talking to, to Bible-believing Christians. You're here and you have another brother or sister over here and they're very strong in what they think and what they believe. And, and, and many times what we're trying to do is we're trying to reach over and grab somebody and pull them over to our point of view. Like that's our goal. Internally, you might not know it, but that's what you want. And there are times whenever actually both of you need to reach out and grab a hold of one another and you pull one another to the middle. Do you know how much humility it takes to do that? Do you know how much transparency and vulnerability it takes to be in that place? It takes a lot. But we've allowed social media to to divide us, y'all. And I really believe that. I think more than anything in our current culture, conversations have been shut down because everybody thinks that everybody's gonna rail on each other. And many do, but we don't have to. We gotta fight for the middle sometimes. Jesus answered questions biblically. Number three, he knew when to speak and when not to speak. The other day, somebody was talking to me and they said, you know, you as a pastor, there's a lot of people that want to know, they want to know what you think about things. They want to know, your, they want to know everything you think about things. And, and, and I'm just being totally transparent with you guys today. I was like, you know, there's a lot of situations going on that I don't really actually I don't have a clear cut opinion on it. I, don't, I actually don't know. There's valid points all over the place. What do you think? What do you think? Well, I think this and I think that, and I think that we've got a lot of work to do. No, give me your opinion. Keep black and white, like let me know. Sometimes Jesus came out swinging. Sometimes Jesus flipped tables at the temple, y'all. Everybody loves that scripture. Uh, he flipped tables, and I'm gonna flip some tables. He did it one time, okay? He didn't walk around for 33 years just like, Wah! <laughs> no. Some people picture him like that. <laughs> Whenever he stood before the Sanhedrin, they asked him some questions, and he didn't say a word. Like a sheep, he stood there. He didn't say a word. A lot of times what we want to do, we want to say stuff. I got to say stuff. We have to know when to speak and when not to speak. The Bible instructs us so many times to use tact and wisdom and discernment. With all of the situations going on in your family, in our, in our nation, every, everything going do you as a, as a Christian, do you stop and do you genuinely pray to God that he would give you understanding in things? Do you actually pray? I'm talking humbly, not pray just to support your side, but you thought, God, I humbly come before you and God, I, I pray that you open my eyes and my ears, that you would give me understanding and discernment in these situations God, if I am missing something, God, I pray that you open up my my eyes to see it and to understand it. God, help me to be humble, approachable, teachable. 
but God, help me to also stand in boldness for you. Do you pray like that? Do you pray like that before you get in a conversation with somebody that you completely disagree with? Do you pray like that before you post something? I, I don't know, maybe you do. I have a feeling that a lot don't though. It's more, God, help them to see that they're wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Don't pray that prayer. From now on, pray the other one. <laughs> I do wanna say this before we go to this last point. You don't have to have an opinion about everything, okay? Just be released to that. You don't have to. But if you do, make uh, Christians, I'm talking to believers, make sure it's biblically sound. Not just one scripture about that situation. Go find 10. Not just one story in the Bible. Go find five stories. Context. Who was the author talking to? Search the scriptures for truth. Don't just look at Instagram and all its lame theology and apply that to yours. Y'all, it's bad out there. It's bad. I'm having trouble not commenting. <laughs> it's just bad theology and it's leading people astray. It's bad interpretation. Last thing that Jesus did to stay stuck in the middle is he held on to truth. He held on to truth. Jesus himself called himself the way the truth, the life. He is the way, he is the truth that leads to life. There is no other way. To be stuck in the middle, biblically stuck in the middle, properly, we still have to hold on to truth. And for some of you, that might actually mean that you're no longer in the middle. We're not always gonna win with everybody, church. We're not. We're not always gonna be buddy-buddy with the world. We talked about that in James, right? We've gotta hold on to truth. Jesus didn't let the noise of the people drown out his mission. He didn't let the noise of culture silence him. He didn't, he didn't compromise truth and back away from it because people might not like it. He loved them. And guess what? Many, many people, many people that were far from God loved Jesus and he brought many people to the Father. But there was a lot of people who hated him. And he was okay with that. Believers, don't let the world distract you from your mission, your purpose, to be reconcilers of people, men to men, but also men to God people to God. We are called to reconcile people to God through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Let's not lose our focus. Unbelievers, if you're watching today, if you're here in this place and, and, and you're kind of on the fence about all of this, don't let the world and the way that the world is defining who God is define God to you because the world is saying a whole lot of stuff. People who don't know God are talking about God's character and they don't know his character because they don't know him. Don't let the enemy seduce and distract you and, and deceive you into a direction that, that is not the truth, that is not the way and that doesn't lead to life. 
But here we are, we're stuck in the middle. So how do we do this? How do we stay stuck in the middle? Number one, we gotta start with love. We gotta start with love. Are y'all with me on that? Come on, if we can't agree on that, we can't agree on anything. <laughs> For some, I wanna challenge you today to think about the people that, that, that enrage you right now. Maybe for some of you, it's me, okay? I'm just, it's me right now, all right? If we sat in and had a conversation, I'm sure we'd actually agree on a lot of things that you think we disagree on, but start with love. Love assumes the best. Love hopes for the best. Love is patient, love is kind. That's right. We start with love. Number two, we have to stay biblical, guys. We've got, to, we've got to stay biblical. We've got to stay uh, 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 tethered to the word of God to the best of our ability. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to study the word of God. I want to encourage you to, to look a little bit deeper in the word of God. Study the word of God in regards to the issues that you are struggling with. Look at commentaries and people that, of people that maybe you don't fully agree with to to challenge you and to, to offer perspective that maybe you don't have right now. But let's study the word more than we study everybody else's opinions. Number three is that we gotta know when to speak. We gotta know when to speak. You type it out, you might need to delete it. Come on. You say it, you might not say it right. Circle back with that person and say, you know, I was thinking, I didn't, I didn't say that right. And I want to apologize for that. It's okay. But know when to speak. You don't have to have an opinion, but if it's an opinion, just make sure it's biblical. Search the word. And lastly, is that we have to hold on to truth. To truly stay stuck in the middle as people of God, we've got to hold on to truth. Is it difficult? Yes. Is there tension around it? Yes. The further that we live this life, especially in our, in our country and in the, in, the, in the culture that we're in, is it gonna grow more, increasingly more difficult to stand with truth and to hold onto the Bible? Yes. Whenever the Bible is labeled, when the Bible is labeled as, as hateful, but yet we love the scripture, we're gonna be called hateful, right? Whenever God's character is maligned and he is, he is put down and, 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 and people label him and then we say that we love that God, people are gonna say that we love those things that they've labeled inaccurately. We must hold on to truth. So I, I just wanted to challenge you guys today. I didn't bring a lot of solutions, did I? I didn't really, I, I, didn't, I just kind of stirred some things up. They're all there. It's, it's, it's all here. It's, it's in each and every one of us. We have experiences. We have opinions. We have, we have a lot of things in us. But we can't allow these things to divide us. We can't. We've got to hold on to the word. We've got to hold on to truth. We've got to fight for understanding. We've got to love one another. Here in a moment, in our Ocean Springs location, Pastor Casey's gonna come up and I'm gonna transition to him as we close out this service. But what I wanna do before we do that is I wanna pray. I wanna pray. 
And I wanna ask God to do a work in our hearts today to help us be stuck in the middle as his people. Father, we come before you humbly. Come on, if you don't mind in this place and in Ocean Springs, would you just lift your hands if you feel comfortable, just lift up your hands. It's just a sign of, of humility and surrender to God. Father, we need you. We need you. God, we need your understanding. We need growth. God, we live in an, in an age, again, of polarization. And God, we know that we're supposed to bring reconciliation, God, and we ask that you would help us to do that. That you would help us to do this in our families, with our friends, with other churches, with people that, that don't see eye to eye, just like you did, Jesus, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all of these people, God, that you stood in the middle and you brought truth and it wasn't always popular, but you did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we ask that you would give us your power, that you would give us your spirit to walk boldly and humbly. We thank you for saving us, God. We thank you for healing us. God, even though we're in the midst of things, God, we thank you that you are healing us, that you are, you are with us. Your presence is with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Look, as we close today's service, I know that there's a lot of you who are, you're struggling in your relationship with God. You're struggling whether you, you really believe in him, whether you really believe in the word, whether you really believe that Jesus, the son of God came to this earth and died and, and, and was resurrected to new life but God is drawing you. The Bible says that he draws all men to himself through his kindness and he's leading you to repentance. And repentance simply means changing the way that you think, which eventually changes the way that you act. And today, if that's you, at the end of this service, we're gonna have some people up at the front of this room, a prayer team. And I wanna encourage you, if you're struggling with that, if you're also struggling, maybe there's sickness in your body, Maybe there's brokenness in your family. There's brokenness in relationships. Maybe some of the things that we talked about here today have just stirred up some things. And you know what? You just need, you need prayer. We believe in prayer. We believe that God hears our prayers. And I wanna encourage you to come to the front of the room and, and we're gonna have a team up here who would love to pray with you. They're wonderful people. They're, 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 everything that you say is confident, confidential and, and they just wanna pray for you today. Also, if it's your first time here, Maybe today you might make a decision to follow Jesus. What I wanna ask you to do is fill out the what's next card there in the seat pocket in front of you. It's got some basic information. We'd love for you to fill out that card, bring it to the back of the room here today. We have somebody that would love to take that, answer any questions you have. And this is what we're gonna do. We're not gonna bombard you with a bunch of stuff, but we do wanna reach out to you and let you know a little bit more about our church, a little bit more about, uh, again, who we are, what we're doing, how you can be a part, and to give you some next steps in that way. So right now, let's stand to our feet. And we're going to end our service today with worship. We're going to end our service today by lifting up the name of Jesus. You know, church, we are the called out ones. We are the called out ones, right? We have been called out of darkness into light. And as we are in the light, our hope is in something else other than where it used to be. Does that make sense? For all of you, your hope might be might have been in people. Your hope might be in a political system. Your hope might be in something, but today we've got to anchor our hope to Jesus. And so in this time, I want you to take about the next three, four minutes, and I want you to respond to the things that we've talked about. Come on right now, Father, we ask 
that you would give us perspective, that you would help us to realize that you have all authority, that God, you will prevail even in our brokenness, even in our confusion. Jesus, that you are strong, that you are mighty, that you are for us, not against us. God, we know that you will prevail, that you have all authority, all power. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. Come on, sing this together.